dying in a stairwell. So we're supposed to pull loops of charged two and a half up this internal stairwell. Uh-huh. And it's just such a beat down. It's you and one other guy. And it is just a beat down trying to push these loops up. Cause you know, they kink real bad, the two and a half, oh, yeah. it kinks. It doesn't really push. So it's more like a pull and one person kind of pushes, throws it over. It's just a disaster. And we're just, we're basically being mocked by the instructor at the bottom of the stairwell. He's hitting us with something along the lines of like, go, nobody else is coming. Like they call 911, you're it. Get it up the stairs. And I remember thinking like, ah, yes, I made it. Like, yes, that's what I'm looking for. I'm in the right place. And also, no, this is terrible. <laughs> What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are mine and those of the guest. Today, we are talking with Dakota Waldrum. She is a firefighter from Texas, and she is a fitness fanatic, a mama, and she is also a principal player at a great 501c3 called Next Rung. Uh, We had a great conversation about all those things, and I hope you enjoy. So Dakota, I'm super glad that we had an opportunity to hook up and have a conversation about the fire service and, and some of the projects that you're working on that I think are fantastic. Um, so tell everybody uh, a little bit about who Dakota is. We're jumping right in with the existential question. <laughs> well, you can go with the more uh, the more like uh, historical version if you like. Where, right. Where'd you grow um, up? Let me ask you a softball question. Um, mostly North Texas, the Highland Village, Louisville area, mostly. I ended up moving to Oklahoma City and I graduated from Putnam City North in Oklahoma City. But I mean, mostly, definitely North Texas where I live now. So you migrated back after college? I did. I did. <laughs> I, I really love Texas, honestly. Uh, I just, it's, it's hard to shake it once you've lived here. Well, I it will just, say that everybody I know who's from Texas cannot shut up about Texas. And yeah, <laughs> and I will, okay, I'm just going to say this and for fear of disenfranchising a whole lot of people, but I drove through Texas and I wasn't that impressed. Whoa. <laughs> now, I know, uh, I know I apologize, but I drove through the, uh, I, you're going to have to so help me out here because I drove well, through. Well, this has been great, but I got to. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove through I-10 through, I guess, kind of Southern Texas and, sure. um, I don't know. Is there like, is I'm a mountains kind of guy. So is there mountains in Texas? There is. You got to get up towards like, uh, the big bend area. It's more panhandle far West Texas okay. type of deal. I think that's part of the draw. It's misleading. Cause they're like, Oh, we have everything. We have beaches, we have mountains, we have desert, you know, I mean, but we're so big that it might as well be in another state. So maybe it's right. not quite the draw. <laughs> that, that we're claiming <laughs> it's, it, from where i live to get to i mean i could get to a different beach but like say you want to go to south padre island or mustang island or somewhere okay down on the coast it's 11 hours oh my goodness so. that's a that's a haul right so it's not convenient yes. at all not at all <laughs> so what's the what's the favorite part of the part of town where you live at the neck of the woods where you're at what's your so favorite we actually part? just moved uh we're in denton county still but uh you know, we're we're tied down now to a school district, which is a little different, I guess, as far as talking about your draw. But we're close enough to Dallas that you can get down and Fort Worth. You can get down there and be, you know, city life or, you know, we're we're killing it in the suburbs up here, slumming it in the suburbs. Right. And it's far enough away that the traffic's not terrible. So yeah. I don't know. It's a good, good suburb to be in, I would say. There you go. Well, that's good. I, I think that every... 
everywhere you go, but there might be some exceptions to this statement. Maybe I'm being too broad here, but I feel like everywhere you go, if you pay close attention, there's, there's some good redeeming qualities there. And, you know, when you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, I want to raise a family, what is the the right draw for me in this community? And, you know, or it's work related, right? You're like, Hey, I want to be relatively right. close to my job, but not so close or whatever. There's all these different reasons to, that we value things. And honestly, the places that I love the most, I enjoy them because I go there to vacation and, uh, yep. and the idea <laughs> of living there, there's, there's a lot of reasons why living there would be uh, repugnant for a hundred different reasons, too difficult, too much sure. traffic, too much, too much snow, whatever. So oh, I hear you. <laughs> I don't have any of those problems as far as snow goes in Phoenix. Um, but, uh, but some I people can't stand the heat. My draw to North Texas, all the best things that have ever happened to me have happened to me in North Texas. You know, this is where I got married. It's where my son was born. It's where I work at my dream job. Like every great thing that I look at in my life and I'm like, Oh, these are the moments have all happened here. So yeah. it's hard to not love it, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense, man. You, you develop these, these deep uh, personal and familial roots in uh, right. in a community and it becomes, uh, you know, and okay, this is kind of very fire centric, but I've been driving through the city with my crew and, you know, with dudes who grew up in the city of Phoenix and they're like, yeah, you know, oh, this mall was hopping when I was a kid and this place was awesome, you know, back in the day or I ate here, you know, I went, used to roll up here on my skateboard when I was 10 and eat this taco stand or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, man, I, I moved here as an adult and I don't have those childhood memories, um, which I, and I kind of miss that. I, and I feel uh, like I got gypped a little bit. That would be neat to be an adult working there later on. Yep. Such well, a full circle. Yeah. Yeah. There was a dude who I had on the podcast a little bit ago and he was telling me about a call he had. He was a probationary firefighter and he was cutting the hole on a roof and he comes off the roof and, a, and this lady across the street's like, hi David. And <laughs> his crew was like, what is that? And he goes, oh, over the, like two houses down is my mom's house. And <laughs> you know, like that's the kind of stuff you run into your neighbors and you know, people yeah. you grew up with, and there's definitely something about that that is uh, enjoyable. Yeah. So, so how did you guys end up back there? Um. So, my husband's actually from California. Um, we met in a bar, which is that's not a thing anymore, I guess. <laughs> but that is that's how we met. But he just he moved here, like cost of living stuff, and for me, it was just coming home and. Man, the the good Lord put us in the right spot at the right time, and it kind of just went from there. So, very, we ended up here very in different ways, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What um, so you guys met in the bar in that town? Uh, no, or nearby. So we met in a bar in the city I work for now. I see. Okay. Yeah, it just happened that way. But I was bartending there, paying my way through paramedic school. And he came in and sat down. He was just so nice. <laughs> Tipped 100%. I tell him all the time. He started paying my car payment before we were even really dating. So There, There is an endorsement for good tips right there. Yeah, it is. Might you might the, end up married. The love of your I don't life. know if that's a pull. <laughs> <laughs> so Dakota, tell me, um, okay, don't take this the wrong way. But you are an unlikely candidate as a firefighter, where most people, based on the stereotype of a classic oh, sure. firefighter. 
So how, I, how yeah, did, yeah, it's and, not an insult. It's just the truth. I don't have time to be insulted by <laughs> true things. Well, let me describe. I mean, well, how tall are you? You're five foot what? Nothing. I'm five foot two. Dang, that's awesome. And I will tell you this. It's, some of my favorite firefighters are five foot nothing. And it, why? Because they can do uh, some tremendous things, uh, acrobatics that I've seen uh, <laughs> on the back of fire trucks trying to get ladders down and stuff like that. It's pretty, oh, yeah. very impressive. So how did, how did you end up in the fire service? Um, man, that's, I think it was a long time coming, I guess. Uh, you can probably trace it back to being a kid. Honestly, I, grew up with a lot of drug and alcohol addiction in my family. And I remember, man, it kind of all came to a head in high school probably. And I remember looking around at maybe 14 or 15 years old. And I remember literally distinctly thinking, I don't have a single adult or even a person that I can really count on. Mm. And I remember like, all right, kind of trying to process through that and thinking, okay, I can lay down and die in these circumstances and just stay here or I can figure out how to get out of here. Okay. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try. I want to do my own thing. This is not, this is not what I want. When I looked around, I didn't see anything that I wanted for me. Um, And I think I've sort of developed this, this obsession mentality as an adult, especially like I want to be people's number one phone call. Like, they're like, I don't know what to do. Everything's kind of hitting the fan. What are we going to do? Well, just call me and we'll just sort it out. Like, we'll just figure it out. I don't know what we're going to do yet, but give me some time and a couple resources and we'll, we'll just make it happen. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to, was not a stellar athlete, but I grew up playing soccer probably since like kindergarten. I was able to get a junior color, uh, junior college scholarship, uh, based on, I mean, I was small even for girls athletics, but just kind of quick and definitely a little fiery. And that got me enough to get this little scholarship to this place in Kansas. So I played junior college, junior college soccer for a couple of years and was just going to regular school and really unhappy, like getting an English degree. I don't want to be a teacher. What am I going to do with this? (laughs) And but doing it because my school was paid for. Like I'd gotten out. I was I was out of the situation I'd been in. Right. I was moving forward. That maybe first not leg really, up, right? Yeah. Like I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but at least I'm not there. Like I'm moving in a, a direction and picked English because it was easy. Like it's always whatever. I can write a paper and throw some adjectives together and make an <laughs> A and I'll make it through school. It'll be fine. Right. But junior college comes to a close. Uh, so now it's time to pick a four-year university. And I came back to Texas. I was going to go to UT Tyler. And I don't know when in college the firefighter career had kind of planted itself. It must have been sometime in there because I got to two-a-days for soccer camp before school my junior year. Like, what am I doing here? I don't want to do this. I'm not, I don't really love playing soccer anymore. I don't want an English degree. I don't want to be a teacher. What am I doing? And so I quit and signed up for EMT school and moved back from Tyler to North Texas and started bartending and just started putting myself through EMT school. And that's kind of where it started, I guess, was 
I just, I wanted to do something different. I wanted, I wanted to become somebody that people could count on. And to me, the civil service jobs, like those are people that society can count on. Those are people, they literally call you when they don't know what to do. And they say, Hey, come fix this problem. You're a professional problem solver. And the draw on that for me is huge. Well, you said something uh, a little bit ago that I thought was really cool. You said you wanted to be people's first call and that's a really interesting, you know, you just talked about being a professional problem solver. I think that's a really neat aspect of public safety, right? Particularly the fire service is you are that, that multi-tool, right? When you step off the truck, yes. it's no matter what the yep. problem is, you have, you have a crew of people that are there to, to solve problems and to work through something. And, yeah. you know, when you mentioned, you know, you sort of touched on, you know, your childhood and people not being, you, you know, the adults in your life, not being reliable to you. And so I think that's a really interesting desire in your heart, right? To recognize that you wanted to be reliable. And, you know, when you talk about being someone's first call to me, that is that I want to be a reliable adult. And right. that kind of, uh, I think it's really an interesting, very mature disposition to have as a young person to look up and realize that that's what you're trying to accomplish with your life. And then you get out, you know, you're trying to do some things like, well, what do I do? I don't know. I guess I go to school. Right. And, and you're like, no, right. this isn't it. <laughs> This isn't opening right. the gate, the pathway. This isn't opening no. what I thought it would, right? And somehow you yeah. kind of stumble across the fire service. And, uh, right. you know, that's a, I love that. And I love that, that you had that insight. Um, I think it's interesting because everyone's origin story is a little bit different, but there's a lot of threads of similarity sure. in, uh, oh, yeah. in the genesis of our careers. And, um, you know, for me, I had a very similar thought. I was, my thought was, I want to, I want my career to be meaningful and you know, I saw I was working in retail and, and service industry. And then I'm like, nope, this isn't it. It's close. It's kind of in the right, it's headed in the right direction, right? It's, it's customer right. service, but it's not the value of the service to me was negligible. It was really kind of minimal there. And I, I was like, I want more than this. Yeah. So it sounds like you're yeah. headed down that same path. Right. And then, so I, I worked my way through EMT and paramedic school, but then when I got picked up by the department I work for now, they sent me to fire academy, me and three other guys, we all went to fire academy together. Uh, and I remember this one day and, uh, we were just dying in a stairwell. So we're supposed to pull loops of charge two and a half up this internal stairwell. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it was just such a beat down. It's you and one other guy. And it is just a beat down trying to push these loops up. Cause you know, they kink real bad. The two and a oh, half, yeah. it kinks. It doesn't really push. So it's more like a pull and one person kind of pushes, throws it over. It's just a disaster. And we're just, we're basically being mocked by the instructor at the bottom of the stairwell he's hitting us with something along the lines of like the go, nobody else is coming. Like they call 911. You're it. Get it up the stairs. And I remember (laughs) their best chance. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, ah, yes, I made it. Like, yes, that's what I'm looking for. I'm in the right place. And also, no, this is terrible. (laughs) I'm so tired. What, uh, so give me, enlighten me a little bit about the Texas fire service. Do you, is it a state academy or is it like jurisdictional or regional or? So it's, it depends a little bit. So there's a lot of programs at junior colleges and you can put yourself through that. Hmm. Uh, and then there's also departments will sponsor you through it. They'll pick guys up and send them to school. The really big departments will have their own academy. Like Dallas kind of has their own thing. Arlington, Texas kind of has their own thing. But for 
like mid to small size cities, most of us end up getting shipped out to like a junior college and running through a program at the junior college. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You know, we have a similar, we have, you know, certain regional academies, but you can go to the, uh, to the colleges and get a fire one and two certificate, right? right? It's like a, through the state, right. we call it the state fire mm-hmm. marshal. You get that certificate yeah. and now you're qualified. You can go work for some of these smaller agencies who don't have their own academy, don't have the resources or the depth to have their own academy. So they, they draw from that pool of, of candidates. All right. Pretty cool. So ours is the, it's through the TCFP, the Texas commission on fire protection, but it's the same thing. It's firefighter one and firefighter two. Right. Same idea. Nice. Yeah. So, so how, how, what's the demographics of your organization? How big is the department? How, how big is our department? Yeah. Oh, we're an eight station department. So we've got uh, two trucks, got uh, six engines, and we got four medics. And then we have a right now we have a peak medic. We're waiting to see if it's going to go full service or not. But right now we uh, staff it with overtime. Is that when you say medic, you're talking about uh, like an ambulance staff with firefighters? Yes. Sorry. Yes. So we run our own EMS for our city. Okay. So we're fire based EMS as yep. well. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What's uh? So we're we're definitely a I like our size. I think it's good. Like I, you know, everybody yeah. kind of, at least, at least you recognize them on site. You might know a couple of things about them, but, uh, you know, there's enough, enough people that it's interesting. There's a lot of people, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different stuff being brought to the table, but you can still kind of put a face with a name everywhere you go. Yeah. When I, when I first got started, I worked for a small agency and, you know, juxtaposed against the department I work for now, which is a very large agency. And it's interesting in those small agencies, everybody, it's all hands on deck, right? No, everybody gets a side job. Everyone has a project or an assignment that they get to work on to help support the department. Um, And it's very easy in a bigger organization to kind of get lost or to, to purposefully stay out of the fray if you want to, right? You can show up, do your job, go home. Um, and not be involved in the organization as much. But when every when you know everybody, uh, it's much easier to be involved. And, and there's assignments for people to do. Do you guys are you finding that in your in your hold on? Let me speak English here. Are you finding that in your organization? Which part? I'm sorry. Well, uh, the assignments where you're getting where you find that people are you know even at the firefighter level are involved in projects and stuff like that. Sure. So we also have TRT. So that brings a whole other set of like projects and skills. For us too. So, yep. do you mean on on shift projects or like our side jobs when we're not at work? No, no. I guess I was thinking along the lines of like departmental type projects. Like I don't know, sounds kind of dumb or whatever, but like host testing, for example, in a small agency, a lot of times, okay, you won't have separate departments that can handle that stuff. You'll have frontline firefighters that have side responsibilities in EMS or managing equipment or you know small tools and things like that. Right. We, it's a pretty good mix. So like we don't do our own hose testing. I know that like we get called out and some, we have another party that comes and does that. But then like we have, we do a lot of training. So some captain, some captains are more into training than others. Like they'll go to, they'll go to conferences or whatever and come back and they'll hold like we did a, we put everybody through like a kind of condensed nozzle forward type deal maybe Mm -hmm. a year ago after some captains went and did that. So there's, there's the space for sure for people to take an interest in something and our department's pretty open to allowing the space for that to grow, I would say. Nice. 
That's good. That's a, that's, I think one of the beauties of a smaller agency is if you, you have folks who are willing to go out and do stuff and then have the latitude or the space, like you said, to bring it back into the organization and share it. Um, that's awesome. I think sometimes in, in bigger agencies, you have more structure, more bureaucracy, and it's more challenging to, um, bring ideas like that to the table, get them, you don't have the ability to move as quickly in bringing ideas forward sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. They've been pretty good about empowering people to get fired up about certain things, whether it's rescue or whatever it happens to be at that point and allow them to come back and kind of foster that excitement about, you know, new, new techniques, new methods, no new tools, whatever it is, yeah. let them kind of foster it at the station level. Nice. You were, t- you were telling me we were chatting before that you guys do a uh, kind of auto aid when in the specialty arena with uh, different jurisdictions around you. So like you guys do the TRT, like you mentioned, and then right. you have adjacent agencies that do other specialties. Right. So um, we're there's four cities that we've kind of linked up uh, with some mutual agreed, mutual aid agreements and splitting up TRT responsibilities. So we're the largest of the four. So we do swift water, confined space, and high angle. And then one of the other uh, cities does trench rescue. And then we've got another one that does heavy rescue. So it, it helps. We're all close enough. We all share these borders that so we can kind of jump from city to city on technical rescue stuff. And then we don't, none of us do hazmat, but we're pretty close to Dallas and Plano, who both have pretty big hazmat programs. So that's another benefit of being in this area of North Texas is that even if it's not within like our, these four cities together, you still have access to all kinds of tech rescue all around you. And everybody's pretty close together with our highway system. So, right. Yeah. And I, I imagine that everyone's pretty, pretty willing to come and support one another when, you know, when that big call comes in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I lied to you a minute ago. We're, so we're seven engines in our city. We're all scrambled right now because we just, we have a rescue house. Our station two is our rescue house. And okay. We've divvied everybody up because of COVID, like not wanting all of our TRT guys to get uh, sick. Oh, yeah. So we use one of our houses is usually, it's usually an engine truck and an ambulance, but we've swapped a bunch of stuff around. So we have, we're seven engines. And oh, trucks. I see. It's interesting how how our organization is very transient. So we'll move people around the city and and uh, to cover vacation and sick leave and that kind of stuff. And right. because because of COVID, we're we're kind of going what I would consider kind of an old school model with a detail person, and we're trying to keep people in house as much as possible, preventing right. you know constant staffing in various parts of the cities, like keeping everyone condensed so that they're not right. moving around, <laughs> trying not to spread you know whatever we can around each other. Um, right. it's interesting. It's really tough times right now for folks. And, you know, we have whole stations that get wiped out, um, when people pop positive and the whole station gets infected and it's, it's, it's yeah. tough. Yeah. We've, we've been, I mean, knock on wood, we've, we've been very lucky so far as yeah. far as personnel getting sick. So, yeah, I, I think luck has something to do with it. And, and just, yeah, I, I wonder about, you know, uh, people's behaviors off duty, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely like you are not staying clean <laughs> yeah. but I'm you know kidding. you can't you can't control everything right so it's a challenge no. it's a challenge no. it's a challenge it's a one more inherent risk right now yeah right exactly I, yeah i fear that people are doing really good on on duty or protecting themselves wearing good ppe <laughs> and all that stuff but then they go home and they're like deals off i'm doing whatever i want 
So yep. it gets it gets challenging. But uh, I have to go to Lowe's. I have right. to go to the grocery well, store. I talked to uh, uh, a manager at a Home Depot, and she was telling me that their sales were through the roof. That they're they're having all time high in their sales, and and uh, I just have to assume that Lowe's is just as busy. And because uh, <laughs> people, so. people are home and so they're selling, you know, they're like working on home projects because they, you know, either got to work from home and that's not really happening and, uh, or they're quarantined and have nowhere to be anyway. So they go to Lowe's and, and then come home with their projects. So it's, uh, I mean, people, home values are going to go up. That'll be nice. Everyone's doing home improvements. Uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> so, um, anyway, nobody cares about Home Depot. Tell me about what is, let's talk about firefighting for a second. When, uh, you know, what is your, and I just love asking this question because I think everyone has a slightly different take on it. What is your favorite aspect of fighting fire? Of the actual act of fighting fire or like the, I see what you're saying. This can go a lot of different directions. Yeah, you tell me, however <laughs> you interpret the question. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be, that's probably twofold. Uh, I think the unpredictability of things, you know, like what's going to happen today? I don't know. Like walking in every day, you never know. Yes. No, no two days are the same. And which is funny because that's, you know, the thing that's kind of petrifying as a rookie. Like, I don't know, like whatever I learned on this call, I don't know that I'll ever apply it to anything else again, right. or maybe I can a little bit. So it's pretty <laughs> intimidating, but now like, how could you ever get bored of a job that changes every day? Yeah. It's I funny. Definitely love- I love that you said that. Cause that to me, that is one of my favorite parts of the job as well. And you know, 22 years later, my favorite part of the job is coming to work and not knowing what's going to happen today. Even when I have right. a plan, even when I have a plan. So right now I'm working in a staff position, feel sorry for me, but it's it, so even have a plan. Hey, I've got this meeting I got to go to, I got to finish this project or whatever. And then you come in and something comes in sideways and derails your day. And right. I'm like, ah, I love that part of the job. <laughs> But that part's great too. So there's all this, this inherent structure, right? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we have our structure of, you know, social structure, how things work of rank and all these things. We have SOPs and SOGs and protocols. Like we've got a plan for almost everything, (laughs) right? but it almost never works that way. But I think that's great. Like I love, I'm something, I like to have a plan. We don't have to stick to the plan. Like maybe things will go sideways, but I like coming in with one at least. Right. (laughs) So that part's great too. Like we have structure and also it's super unpredictable. I don't know how it manages to be both of those things, but it really does. (laughs) Well, it's funny because if you, you know, go to fire, right? A fire follows the laws of physics. And so there's a lot of predictability in it. You know, there's science. Yes, it's science. Exactly. But there's also a lot of variables. And right. that is the beauty of it is that you have to, once you learn the fundamental variables and you start trying to apply those to all these different fires, right? I have yet to be on a fire that has been perfect because there's always something that goes slightly differently and right. you can bring the best plan. I think it's an old Mike Tyson quote, right? He says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's the same kind of thing. You start off with a base plan and then you have to be able to call variables and adjust based on the, based on what you're presented with. So to me, that is one of the most interesting and, and exciting parts of the job is that you have to be prepared for anything. You know, yeah. you walk into a house thinking that you're going to have just a, you know, pediatric difficulty breathing and it's a code, right? Oh, I got to shift yeah. gears. Now it's high gear. I got to go. Time to go. Oh, yeah. Time to shit and well, get, right? Get to work. That, I mean, that unpredictability stuff, 
the EMS side, I would say, is even way more unpredictable than the fire side for us. Like, the dispatch, they're almost never right. Like, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. or, and it's not, and I'm not, I'm not taking a, a dig at dispatch because, I mean, when you get there and you're trying to talk to people, sometimes I'm still, I'm like, what are you saying? Like, what? <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. It's hard to understand people when they're, when they're gassed up and upset. And yep. so that's another one. That's, that is an ever evolving situation when you show up on a medical call too. Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You never know what you're going to get, right? And the, uh, the, right? the information you get on the MCT on your way to the call is sometimes right, sometimes not, which I, you know, I, I stopped there was a period of time when I just stopped sharing that information with my crew because it was, <laughs> I would be, we'd be in route, we get a message and I'm like, Nope, not sharing that because you, it's going to be wrong. Or you guys right. are going to get mad <laughs> when you hear that it's well, something a, stupid. That's a hot button topic right now. As far as size ups, right. That's what we're all talking about. Like stop saying everyone's out over the radio. Right. Stop. Right. Like that, that alone, MDT stuff and notes and like, all of that is, is a super hot topic right now anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a challenging one, right? Because you get your your size up begins the minute the tones drop, right? You right. List, you're listening to the to the enunciator, they're giving you an address, you're like, Oh, I either know that spot or I don't know that spot and you're beginning to size up what's happening next. You pull out, right. you see a header, you don't see a header, right? You start getting information on your MCT telling you more about the incident and it can be misleading. Absolutely. And so it's a, that's a challenging part of this job is, is, is allowing yourself to be pessimistic and not, not <laughs> yeah. letting that, not letting that MCT sway you and, and putting you into a lackadaisical state because it can right. disarm you if you're not careful. Absolutely. Yeah. Or get you jacked up about nothing. So yeah. it's a balance. Yeah. It's well, a balancing act. Too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, how often do we get a whole box put on stuff and, you know, the, Dispatch is saying, oh, they got smoke coming out, heavy smoke out of the garage. Right. There's no smoke. There is nothing here. Yes. Oh, their barbecue's on on the patio. All right. right. Everybody go home. Well, so it's funny you say that because when you use the word, words matter, right? And the, right. And the expression heavy smoke means different yeah. things to different people. And so that's yes. the perfect, when you're trying to interpret what somebody who's calling in, who has no experience, you know, right. they say, oh my gosh, there's so much smoke, it's filling the street. And yeah, it's just a barbecue that's heavy, you know, they got some wet wood on there, it's smoking up like crazy or whatever, yes. um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 but what's interesting when you, uh, we've had, uh, you know, firefighters all have their own levels of experience, right. And their own skill sets, right. And Mm-hmm. They'll pull up on scene, different people with different skill sets will pull up on scene and they'll say things that are kind of along the same lines. You know, we're on scene of a working fire with heavy smoke. I'm like, okay, what, what does that mean? Right. And that's it. That's the hard question when you're coming in. I'm looking down the street and I'm like, I don't see any smoke, but he's, whoever it was saw something, right? The first right. thing company saw something. So it's, uh, it's challenging. So we're using blue card these days okay. for size up. How's that yeah, going for you guys? So- I think it's good. Uh, it's nice to, especially, so I'm on the, I'm assigned to a medic a lot of the time right now because mm-hmm. I just finished up FTO. So we do FTO process and then we're supposed to ride the box for a straight year after that. And okay. my year just came up a few weeks ago. So I'm starting to move back and forth from an engine too, but I mean, a lot of the time on a medic. So we're expected to make a side. I mean, if you're first on, you're coming yeah. back from the hospital, yep. you get toned out. 
and you're there, then you need to go ahead and make a size up. And so for me, the, I mean, I'm so new, you know, I'm a very green firefighter still, a very green medic. And so the structure of it, like, here's what I'm going to say, check, 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 is helpful <laughs> yep. from that standpoint. But yep. uh, I mean, I hear I hear what the captains are saying with their the issues that they have with it. But it is a it's a nice script when you're new. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think that what I would tell you, not that you're asking for advice, but what I would suggest is there's a, there's a continuum, (laughs) right? So we start with this base, this base play, this base script, right? And then from there, once, as we learn the nuances of the game, our abilities evolve and we, we, you know, the whole reading smoke thing, it's an art form understanding the different right. colors and the speeds and pressures and, and what that means to the firefight, et cetera, where the flow path is going, where the smoke is traveling, where the pressure is building in the building, all that type of nuances and subtle details require practice and skills and sets and reps, uh, which right. come over time and come with training and experience. So, yeah. um, so it's good to start with a base platform, right? Right. And then from there you adjust as you, as your skill set evolves and develops. It's uh, that's the fun of it. And that's the beauty of it. So you start with a, you know, a job that's always different. And then as you mature, your, (laughs) you know, your skills evolve with it and, and the job is still continuing to be dynamic. So we've in the last uh, seven to eight years, we started talking about fire dynamics in our organization and fire dynamics was a massive paradigm shift. Guys and gals were thinking, Oh, fires are this way, but we're realizing that when you start talking about the science of it, go, Hey, let's, we're going to measure some stuff. The UL and this are measuring things and they're going, Hey, it's not the same as your grandmother's firefight. No. And that's an important, you know, and as we, as we, uh, so not only are the calls, there's so much variety on a day-to-day basis, but there's variety over the course of a career as things evolve. Right. And someday you're going to be TRT and you know, these things are all going to you know, be part of your skill set and your, your opportunities are going to continue to expand. So I just, that's my favorite part of this job. I love it. Well, it's crazy to think even so, because I'm so new, just when I went through fire Academy, we were watching videos from the governor's Island study. Oh yeah. So I've come in, I have come into the fire service at a different place than a lot of people who aren't, who haven't been in, you know, that much longer than you came in at it's it's so dynamic it's it's changing so much right now that it's it's an interesting time to be new because i don't know any other way (laughs) right well and it's for for a rookie like yourself uh you are looking at the these old dogs who are like ugh, this is ridiculous right you hear some (laughs) of that naysaying and you go wow dude like how can you not see this right because they have this whole other set of experience that they're drawing from so it's really a challenge organizationally for us to kind of make that switch, right? There's two things that firefighters hate and that's change and the way it is, right? So oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when we recognize that, we go, God, where our work is cut out for us trying to get people to move forward with a new idea. So for example, uh, or another example rather, is our response to violent incidents, right? So violence is on the rise. And for so right. long, it's we do not want to look like cops. We don't want to look like cops. We don't want people to assume we're cops. We're going to do everything in our power to be totally different. And yet violence is finding us. And so we have to change our behavior a little bit, right? Yeah. It's it's definitely tricky times. It can't. Right yeah, now. absolutely. We have to learn how to de-escalate and we have to be, sure. we got to stay the good guys. <laughs> yeah. Got to stay the good guys. But 
Hey, one of the things I want to talk to you about, um, yes. changing gears just a little bit, but totally relates okay. to firefighting, but I want to talk to you about fitness partly okay. because when I, when I get on your Instagram, you are throwing down some savage workouts and, um, and when I think about, uh, my little firefighters, <laughs> that, that's us. We're out here. Yeah, and I don't mean that as a pejorative. Uh, I mean right. that with all the love of my heart. My my tiny firefighters who who have to. Um, there is a certain physicality to this job that is undeniable. And you know, as a two hundred plus pound person, I know that I can just lean into a hose line, and I have a certain amount of uh, work that's done for me just by my mass. Right. right. And so I think yes. mass so, moves mass. Yeah. And so I think about my, my smaller firefighters and go, man, what, how much more work do you have to do? And, um, and what type of training does it take for you to maintain that capacity? Right. Well, I would like to lead off with, I am 100% still figuring this out. Um, okay. I, I do not have it down to a science. I've flipped kind of my method i guess a couple times i'm definitely still trying to figure it out well tell me uh, tell me about your journey okay so <laughs> when i said hey i want to be a fireman i weighed about 110 pounds and i'm five foot two and it's so this is interesting but so no one ever said to me like no you can't or anything like that about my size or my gender or anything, really. Nobody ever said, no, you can't. But a few people were honest enough to say, okay, but you're going to have to get bigger. You're going to have to get stronger. There's no way around it. Like You're just going to have to. And I mean, they were right. So I failed, I mean, multiple CPAPs before I passed one. And it ended up, it's just you know the way life works and end up being perfect because i needed more time yeah because I, I have a quick question a quick inject sure. do you guys do like a do you go to a private vendor for cpat get like a qualifying card kind of thing that you get no. certified oh uh, my department does not we have our own okay. our own physical that they have to they have they, they go through some they administer it as part of service that oh, okay. they have to certify it i see through so, civil service so do they not, do it as a part of the testing process like annually or yes. something like that Okay. Yes. So we do a written and then based on your scores on the written, you get invited to the PAT, past the PAT, you kind of move through like that. Okay. So first, first the written test. And then it seems like we kind of take like groups of 50 maybe. So the first 50 guys get invited okay. up to the physical and then the next 50. And so actually the, so the department I worked for, I picked it. I wanted to work there. Mm-hmm. It was my number one. My husband and I talked about it all the time and it was for a couple of different reasons. But one of them was that like they were notorious for having one of the harder physicals. And I just, I was like, I don't want, I don't want to do it the right way. So if theirs is hard, they say that's the way it's got to be. Then that's what I want to do. And there's depart. And I remember it was so frustrating. I was a medic already. I was working as a tech at a hospital and all these guys were like, oh, go work for this city. They have a medical physical. Oh, go test here. Their physical is really easy. And it was just infuriating. So like, man, I don't want it like that. I want to do it Everyone right. trying to give you the easy way out. Yeah, I don't want, like, I want to do it right. Like I said, I want to do this job. So let me try and do it right. And so I kind of loved, I'm looking at the requirements page or the prereqs to test for my department. And 
like you got to have so many college hours you got to have such and such gpa they have a hard physical like they just had all these expectations i was like man that's kind of how i see myself like i want to have high expectations for myself this is the kind of place i want to work for right so i failed our physical twice and the second time i failed it it was i had i was on the last event it was the dummy drag right at the end and i mean i'm not no exaggeration, probably like five or six feet from finishing. It was so close. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, well, I'm not worried because we test twice a year. I was okay. like, okay, give me six months and I'll come back. Like I've got, I've got it. Give me six more months and we're going to be fine. And I came back and I finished like a minute and a half faster than the last time that I failed. And that last six months was my saving grace because then I went to fire Academy and I learned oh my God, everything is so heavy. This is hard. This is hard work. Right. And so that extra six, six months, it, it was extremely beneficial to me being able to get close to being good at my job. Right. <laughs> so how are you, how are you training for that? And what changed I, between CPAT number one and CPAT number two? So between one and two, that, so one was like, uh, I think I was working out at like LA fitness. I, I don't know what I was doing really. Like I just, Picking up workouts off bodybuilding.com, whatever, so very ending ran, it on very the random. stair climber. Yes. Yeah. I mean, trying to follow, trying to follow something sort of, but then at the end, you know, 30 minutes on the stair climber and just not getting where I needed to get. And then I fell into the wonderful uh, cult of CrossFit <laughs> and that is 100% what got me ready to take it the next two times. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I, you know, there's a lot of things that people can say about CrossFit. They, you know, they can argue, but it does produce results. Um, yes. You know, you do have to be, and I would submit to you that you have to be careful because everybody's individual, everybody's body is different. And, uh, yes. you know, response to stress can, can be hard on different people in different ways. So, um, right. I, I don't like the one size fits all. However, I will say that the intensity with the heavy lifting and the power movement is, can can be very productive for people. It can be. Yeah. Um, so then the, the ultimate difference what, between two and three was I, I mean, I would go to like a regular CrossFit class at, you know, 6 p.m., whatever. We do our weightlifting portion and then we do whatever the Metcon is for the gym that day. But between two and three, I started going to open gym at noon. And I would work out from noon to two. And from noon to two, Monday through Friday, I was bench pressing, deadlifting, back squatting, front squatting, supplemental bodybuilding lifts. Like I was mm, just getting strong. no cardio. Like I'm just trying to bring some numbers up here and then come back in the evening, blow through whatever the strength is that evening. Probably not not maxing out. Like everybody else is going to do you know, a two rep max for back squat. Well, I'm not going to do that because I already back squatted today. I'm going to hit some heavy back squats and then I'm going to really hit it hard in this Metcon to try and get some conditioning in. Yeah. And that was the difference for me was that I literally had to do two a days and I had the pamphlet. This is so dorky. I had the pamphlet, uh, the handout that they gave us this at the written the second time I tested for my department uh -huh. that I'd written down the dates of the physical and I had failed that physical and I took that pamphlet and I threw it in my gym bag and I went to the gym twice a day for six months <laughs> with that in my bag. With these every, time you pee, every time you peek yeah. in there, there it is. It's just mocking me every time uh -huh. I look in my bag. And I'm like, all right, six months from now, I'm like, I'm going to make it hard for them to not offer me a job. That was my whole goal. I'm going to make it difficult for them to say, no, let's not do this. Yeah. That was my whole 
whole thing for what's six that, months. <laughs> what's There's an expression. I think it's make yourself undeniable. And yeah. I think that's what you're, what you're talking about. I love the fact that and you said it's cheesy, but I love the fact that you, you know, you had a little, little thing inside your bag that just reminded you of what you were trying to do. Right. You know, that's important. I think sometimes it's real easy to lose sight of what the primary objective is. Absolutely. And, and you know, what your intrinsic why is, right? It's so easy. Right. To, you know, motivation is like this, it's fleeting and it, and it's hard to, it's not always there. Um, you know, you can listen to a speech, a motivational speech and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. But it doesn't sustain right. you like your why does, but having a, a, a deeper passion and a more present why and reminding yourself of that is really an important part of, of uh, driving forward in, in life exactly. and, and, and these objectives that we have that are hard to attain. You know, this, it's really right. actually the numbers of people who try to become firefighters. Um, it's a very large number. It's incredibly competitive. So yes. you've got to have a deep seated uh, drive for what you're doing. Right. So there's, uh, do you know who Inky Johnson is? Uh, football player? Yes. Yep. I, I know the yes. name. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a huge fan of him. I, I just think I find him incredibly inspiring and he's somebody like I would listen to him talk a lot in the kind of in the midst of all this, trying to get hired, uh, trying to get, trying to get strong, trying to get this job stuff. And I specifically like the conditions he came from. I remember thinking like the, the conditions that he grew up in, those are harder than what I came up in. I mean, I think there mine had some tricks. I had some things that I had to navigate, but his was undeniably difficult. And look what he was able to do. Like there's no excuse for me to not get where I want to get to. If this guy can do this, I can get stronger. I can get hired at a job. Like look what he did. Right. And he's a very motivating guy, I think. But he has a line somewhere in one of his speeches where he's talking about how if you don't have a, a driving force for what you do, then one day you'll run into something that's tougher than you and you'll quit. And I remember thinking about that a lot. Like you have to have a real reason, a real driving force for this. Or when it's hard, like in the middle of a physical, you'll be like, maybe I don't want this that bad. Right. Unless yeah. you have your, your real why behind you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Nope. I love that. I think that's really important. So, so what are you doing now to sustain? Cause I know you, so you, I, so you CrossFit like crazy and clearly, you know, like I said, watching your social media, clearly you're getting after it every day still. Um, I am definitely still CrossFitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll pull, we pull conditioning from all over the place. Like that's such a great thing about social media. Like I can get on Instagram and finds 37 workouts and I'm like that looks terrible let's do it in like 10 <laughs> minutes so we pull a lot of that but my husband writes so I'm on a strength cycle right now my husband writes them for me and he's he's a super geek about stuff like that so whatever he says I'm doing that's what we're doing so like the other day it was five by five back squats at 80 percent and then, you know, we got in a big fight in the garage because I failed out on the third rep <laughs> on the last set. And he was like, yeah, it was written at 75%. I just wanted to see if you could do it. <sighs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> You're a monster. Just so angry. But <laughs> so I let him I let him decide strength stuff so that I don't really have to worry about it. We cycle in and off. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we'll pull stuff from, like, West Side Barbell. It kind of depends yeah. what we're after right then. We try to change it up a lot. But so definitely a lot of powerlifting is what I've switched to recently. And then uh, I just, I enjoy CrossFit. I really do. Yeah. So is, I'll pull stuff that looks fun. Is basically. part of your objective <laughs> to put, um, to put on some mass 
muscle mass? Yes. So mass and strength. And then I basically supplement with the conditioning and cardio because it's what I have working for me on mm-hmm. the fire ground. So I can't really afford to lose it. So I'm just hanging on by a thread to the best cardio I can have because honestly, that's that's my greatest strength on the fire ground. When being my size is good mobility and good lungs is yeah. my greatest strength, I think. And so I can't let that go. But my greatest weakness is, you know, it's brute strength. I don't deadlift. I can't lift as much as the guys. I don't squat as much as them. And and like little stuff, like my grip strength is not as strong as some of the guys. Yeah. And that's frustrating all on its own, you know? Yeah. Well, I will tell you this, you know, one of my favorite five foot firefighters, um, I, I pulled up on a fire one day and I was waiting for an assignment and I'm watching her, her and her engine company were first in, she's the engineer. And I watched her climb the back of this truck, open the cabinet, pull a 24 foot ladder out like three quarters of the way out while she's hanging onto the truck. She jumps down, goes to the very tip of the ladder and then like walks it like she's stretched out as high as she can. She, she gets it till it's like almost about to fall out of the cabinet. She runs up underneath it, grabs the ladder, takes it over to the front (laughs) yard, throws it. And I was, my, my jaw was just a gap. I'm like, I I probably should have gone over there and helped her. I was standing there like an idiot watching because it was so awesome. It was such an amazing feat of, of firefighting skill and ad- adaptation to this high back truck. And right. you know, it was impressive. And her physical capacity <clears throat> was undeniable. So it's, uh, I don't know why I brought that up necessarily other than to say there, like, it's, you <laughs> well, find, there... a, you find a way, right. And, and right. you don't have to be, you, I think this is the beauty of this, right? You bring one set of skills to the game that big monster firefighter who can deadlift 600 pounds brings another set of skills right. to the game. And together you make an amazing combination, right? right. That guy's not going to climb up in the attic as easily as you are. And if we need to go muck out the attic, guess who's getting boosted up there, right? Right. Position and function. Yeah. Oh, Every- yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their talent <laughs> and their places, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's a, so hey, I just, Dakota, we need you to climb in this car that's all crunched up. Yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think there's the, it's part of those talents and, and, uh, it's really important. I definitely agree with the, everyone bringing different stuff to the table, but it's undeniable that our job is physical and no, it's heavy. Yeah. No, no, I mean, no the, ho- the hose lines are heavy. Everything is heavy. Tools are heavy. Patients are heavy. Our job includes a lot of manual labor. And when you're, when you're my size, like I'm not there yet. I'm working towards it. I don't know if I'll ever be done working towards this quote unquote strong enough. Cause I don't really know what it is, but I know that at right. my size, I can't afford to slow down. Like I have right. to keep moving forward because that's what my job expects of me. It's yeah. heavy and it's hard and it's manual labor and I'm really small and that's yeah. just the way it is. And they, like, so they're, tricks to do everything right like i had a my first captain on probation we threw ladders we did one man throws for like six months while i was there like he was not going to let me leave without us figuring out how it was going to work and so (laughs) we got there eventually but at first we're like oh okay we'll put the trash hook on it as counterweight i'll throw the housing on the end counterweight and we're like no like i have to figure out how to do this without a trick like i need to just be able to do it that's when it you know where the tire meets the road. I have to figure out how to do this. And so it took a lot of kind of messing around, finally figuring out that the balance point doesn't work for you when you're five foot two. Like you're going to have to shimmy up a couple extra rungs if you want to high shoulder throw a ladder by yourself. That's just the only way it's going to work. And so there are tricks for things, but at some point 
when you're my size, you have to stop looking for a trick or an easy way out or a, I'll just finagle this. And you just have to get stronger because that's what the job needs you to do. And so that's where I'm at right now. Like, yeah, we found tricks, whatever, but I need to get to the point where I don't need a trick. I can just do it. Right. Well, and a trick doesn't always, is not always going to be available to you. No, it's not. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, we have super high, <laughs> super high cross lays on our engines. They're above the pump panel. Uh-huh. We did. There is a, I'm sure some sort of video floating around right now. I had to stand on the inlet the other day to pull a cross lake. <laughs> the pistol grip got a little jammed up. So like tricks like that, that's fine. Like I'm short. I got to stand up high, but you know, pulling hose and throwing ladders, it's just, it requires strength. And that's something that yeah, the, laws of, my side, the laws of physics don't always change for you. Right. Just, to no, lever- just the don't. point of leverage yeah. changes. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, it's, uh, I would, I want to change gears on you one last time. Okay. We had talked, I know you're a, you're a principal player at next rung. Uh, you're on their board I am. and next yeah. rung. I want you to talk about next rung because, um, you know, we had talked earlier about participating in your organization and, and, and being able to, you know, give into your organization, but this is a way that you're giving into the fire service. I think is really, really cool. And is super important in today's day and age. And, you know, you talk about being in the gym with your husband and I know you guys have a kiddo and. Just one, right? Yeah. Right? No. Uh, so we have three. So oh. I have an uh, older stepson and an older stepdaughter from his previous marriage. So, okay. Yeah, so, we're a... So life is household. busy, <laughs> right? So busy, busy life, stressful life, yes. and you guys are yep. in the gym together. That's one outlet, a way to find balance in life. And I think that's so important that people are constantly looking for ways to decompress from the job. And, um, right. and, and so in comes next rung. So tell, tell us a little bit about what next rung is and, and how so it's. So we're a, we're a nonprofit. Uh, we basically offer peer support for first responders. I'll say we get mostly firemen or firefighters, sorry. Uh, firemen from all over the country call in. Uh, we get a little bit of EMS, and I think we've had a few police officers. But basically, our our goal is to offer the peer support counseling. And then if we're not kind of getting where we need to get with people, then we hook them up with a professional counselor, a licensed counselor, to try to get them some more help. And then the the third pillar that we really work towards, which is the super tragic one, is we make monetary donations to families who've lost a first responder to suicide. So it's been a it's been a really eye opening organization to be a part of. I think last time you and I talked, I think I referred to it as like it's not a sexy topic in the fire service. You know, yeah. we're not cutting up cars, not flowing water. Like it's not something that everybody's like, yeah, hands on training. But yeah. it's an ugly reality right now. Last year, more firemen killed themselves than died in the line of duty, and that is an uncomfortable number to look at. Yeah. But it's the reality of the situation. And so what we're hoping for right now is, of course, we want to talk to anybody who's having suicidal thoughts because we want to intervene there. We want to get we want to get some help. We want to prevent that tragedy from taking place. But we're also hoping to get utilized before people get to that place. Like sometimes you just need somebody that doesn't have any skin in the game to talk to you because sometimes it's just a lot, you know. So, and a lot of the guys we talk to, it's never, I think we get a bad rap for like, it's not like some guy ran his first PD code and lost his head and just can't function. It's almost never that. It's more like, hey, I mean, I'm drinking a lot. I'm having trouble with my wife. My kids are getting in trouble. I had this terrible call at work. I'm not sleeping. 
it's almost always just a lot of life happening all at once. My wife has cancer. My dad just died. Like it's life happening. And then a job where you don't get a whole lot of sleep. (laughs) You're pretty stressed out, high strung for 24 or 48 hours, whatever you work. And so we're basically hoping to be somewhere that people can, it's just a safe place to reach out. And the anonymous part of it is nice, right? Like it's not, it can't get back to anybody. I don't work at the same place as you. Nobody's going to know if you don't want them to know. And I think that it's a underutilized resource right now. Yeah. So where, how does it work? Is it regional or, you know, so we're, we have a number. Yeah. So we have a, we have a number that you can call, but a lot of people text it. So, uh, I'll put, I'll send it to you so that you can put it on the, on your podcast. But so we do a, we have a hotline basically, and it'll put you through to somebody on the peer support team. So I'm on our peer support team and there's several others of us and everybody is a first responder on the peer support team. So whoever you're getting put through to, like, it's kind of like a, a, yeah, we get it type deal because we do the same job. And so it's not like you're walking into this really nice family counselor lady and she looks very gentle and very soft. And you're like, Hey, let me tell you about this horrible thing that I saw that's traumatizing me. And she's looking at you like deer in the headlights. Oh my God. Right. It's more like, yeah, I get it. We do it too. So yeah, at the very least you're starting from a place where, you know, at the bare minimum, this person can empathize a little bit and has at least had some similar experiences and can, you know, knows where you're coming from. Right. So we have a rep in every state right now. And then uh, I'm also on our board of directors. And so that's made up with a lot of guys from different states. And we also have a licensed counselor on our board. Last year, I was able to go to El Paso for the stair climb and set up a booth out there. And it was actually right after the Walmart shooting out there. So that was a it was an interesting time to be out there, handed out some stuff. But actually, FDNY has a kind of like crisis team, I guess, that they fly out to places that helps out. So they they already had some good resources there, which was, it's nice when you get there and you don't know what you're going to find and talking to some guys, they had definitely already been talked to by some guys from FDNY. So that was really neat. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's important. It's, I know the IFF is doing some stuff and, you know, we have an agency out here that we're affiliated with called Firestrong and there's some, it's an important place for people to go and, you know, if they need a resource, you need a resource available to you. It's not, you can't always come home and put it on your family. You can't always expect your friends to be there for you. They're, they're not always available to you. And sometimes we let this stuff, we pack it in, we pack it down until it becomes a problem. And, and it, it can be surprising when it finally shows itself. And it's important that we are, you know, have routes to go and decompress and unpack it and share it and get help. And there's nothing, you know, and I know you're going to agree with me when I say this, but there's nothing wrong with going and getting help. Matter of fact, I would suggest going and getting help before you find yourself in that spot. You know, that's the hope always, right? Is I don't, I mean, I want to talk to people when they've gone to you know the dark place when they're like i think i just want to die i think i'm done but i really want to talk before that like let's before you get there because surely there is a point before you get to that to that spot where we can start getting some help getting some resources for people because it's not it's not normal it's not a normal coping mechanism to want to take your own life and we know that we say that to our own patients Right. Before we take them to the hospital, like, we right. know that that is a normal, not a normal coping mechanism and right. that it's a cry for help. You need some help at that point. Right. Well, I hope that my, my hope is that conversations like this are important to have because it helps, helps us recognize or helps the conversation needs to be, Hey man, 
you've got to go take it's like putting on a coat in the summertime like you're you're gonna cook so peel right. a, peel a layer off before you get to that spot where you're overcooked exactly. and overheated you know like you gotta you know go and get therapy go and get therapy right. before you think you need it um, because I guarantee you there's there's plenty of things in life that you can uh, unpack and unload with a therapist um, before it becomes problematic. And before right. you, before the consequences happen where you're taken down on your family or you end up in divorce or you, you do something that damages your career or, you know, what have you, all the different negative consequences that can happen. You got to get to that place before it becomes a problem. So yeah. that's an important, it's an important factor all on its own. What you were just talking about is there, are, if you look close enough, I promise you there are guys in your department that they're going through something and it doesn't always come out as I'm going through something, you know, they're like coming in later than they usually do. Not in a great mood, yelling at patients, like just screaming about how they don't need to go to the hospital, mad at the guy at jail, whatever. And you're like, Hey dude, what is going on? Like, this is not your usual temperament. And I think I would like to see us get better about kind of being each other's keeper, you know, like we're, yeah. we're really good at like, after it happens, like nudging the other, somebody else and being like, Hey man, he's showing up late all the time. What's going on with him? Yeah. But we're not so great at going, Hey, what's going on with you? Yeah. Like, I see it. You're showing up late. What's going on? Well, let me, let me ask okay? you this. Do you think that is a, a product of our own lack of vulnerability? I don't know. Cause for I don't me, know. for me to pull you aside and go, Hey man, are you okay? Like I have to be willing to go to a hard place with you. Cause what if you say, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That, it's almost worse if they say no. Right. right. Cause, <laughs> Cause now, now you gotta, I gotta act. I gotta do something. Right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> yeah. dig in and we gotta, we gotta get in this together. I gotta get in the hole with you and we gotta have a conversation. To that, I would venture out to say the uncomfortable conversation. Like we want to call each other our brothers all the time. Right. Yeah. But that means the hard times too. And I don't love having hard conversations with people, but from a selfish standpoint, I'm going to have a hard time living with myself later if he kills himself. And I knew if I saw something and I didn't say anything. And so I think we have to get a little better about going to the uncomfortable place Yes, for the ultimate goal of preventing something tragic from happening. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I am, I frequently preach uh, how we need to be vulnerable with one another and how we need to be willing to call each other out. Uh, for things like training and uh, accountability, organizational accountability and stuff like that. But this is a way more important topic. And, you know, you said it, you just said it, you said we call each other brother and sister, right? And we do that because we are, we are in the shit together a lot. And so that's an important thing to address with one another. We have to be willing to have, to challenge each other on these difficult things. You know, I I distinctly remember turning around in my seat and looking at my back seat and going, Hey, uh, that was a horrible call. Are you guys okay? Cause I, I'm not, I'm not sure I am. (laughs) Like I, I feel pretty crappy about that event and you know that, uh, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying that because I so amazing at, at doing this, but I felt comfortable enough with the crew that I had to be able to go there. And what I, what I worry about is some agencies, particularly the bigger ones where you have transient employees and people who are not necessarily working together on a regular basis, making the social connections that allow you to have those conversations is really important. Right. And so you have to get there quickly. You have to somehow, you know, recognize that you're part of this fraternity of people. And uh, whether you know this person intimately or not, you have to bridge that gap somehow. 
Right. I think there's a lot of kind of misnomers about mental health and, and especially in the fire service. So you see, you mentioned something the other day when we were talking that I've been thinking about since you said it, because I've noticed myself do it too. Like, so I can, I can be riding backwards or driving the medic or whatever, driving down the street in the city. And I can look and see an intersection and be like, Oh man, we ran a terrible car wreck here. Somebody died or like over there. I'm like, Oh man, we had a gross CPR in there over here. We saw some, you know, spouse abuse, whatever. Like you can remember things and that's different than being disturbed by something. Like there's a difference. Like I roll through town and I remember all kinds of calls. Like you just, you can't help it. You see the intersection, you see the house, whatever. That's not the same as like a guttural reaction. My stomach hurts, kind of sweaty, don't feel great. Like that's different. You can remember something without it being disturbing. It's when it starts to turn into a physical reaction within you that you have to recognize that that's not something you can control. And eventually that can overtake people. So when it starts turning into a physical manifestation within you, then it's time to talk to somebody because you can't like you can't brute strength strength your way through that. That's something that you're going to need some help working through. Something has to change because what you're doing is not working. Otherwise, it would have moved from frontal lobe to the back of your brain and it wouldn't be stuck where it's stuck causing a visceral reaction. Like it's just science. There's no way to argue it. Right. No, I love that you brought that up because it's uh, it is such a challenging thing for us, at, you know, and we are it, it's not you know, we're all getting busier and we're all seeing more and more difficult things and uh, you know we have to address it right there's been a i see a lot of um there are pages on instagram like there's this one called emergency cringe or like they basically call out kind of social media abuse for clout basically and you see a lot of videos where people are kind of making these cloudy i don't really know how to describe them videos about ptsd and it's very frustrating because it feels undermining like to glorify an abnormal response is very frustrating to me because I don't have a visceral or this, you know, this crazy physical mounting response to calls normally. That's not normal. And to imply that it's normal means that a people are like, Oh, I don't want to be associated with these people making these videos. I'm not going to say that I'm upset about this call or B they're like, Oh, everybody feels like that. It's normal. And it's not normal. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering if I've seen any of those videos or not. I've seen some pretty cringy stuff on, on social media um, (laughs) lately in particular. uh, I don't know what the deal is with all these TikToks that people are making. Um, Yeah, they're, yeah, it's, it feels a little undermining the glorification of like, you know, career PTSD or it's, it's hard to watch when it's something that's so real, like firemen are literally killing themselves and you're making TikToks glorifying PTSD and it yeah. makes me crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not appropriate. You know, not at all. And, uh, you know, I, the TikToks I was talking about are the, the goofballs who are dancing with their turnouts on and oh yeah, <laughs> enough. That's the other kind of cringe. Stop goofing <laughs> off, go train. <laughs> There's definitely something you could do with your time and it's not this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, so going back to next rung, a very worthwhile organization to support. Where can people find more information if they want to call? I mean, I know I can post a number. Is there a website? Is there a social media page? If somebody wants to donate and support the cause? Yes. All of those things, yes. So the 
the hotline is more for utilization of the service than for just kind of getting in touch with somebody. If you have right. questions about it, I'd be happy to give my, I mean, my social media is always open just to talk about next round or fire service stuff or whatever it is. Like I'm in the deep in the DMS all the time. And so are a lot of the other guys that work for next round. We have an Instagram page. And we also have a website. So nextstrong.org is our resource to, you can buy merch that helps support us. That helps us make monetary donations to families. It helps put us through trainings, peer support training, SISM training, all those certifications that we're trying to keep up with so that we can be, you know, appropriately prepared to help people through the stuff that they're going through. And they, we also offer this thing called the Change Lives campaign. And there's different monetary amounts. You can pledge one time and donate some money, or you can be a monthly contributor and several different options for how much you want to do a month uh you do get a challenge coin if you do that by the way nice so that's always it <laughs> if that's a draw for any of the coin collectors but yeah so we're on social media we're at events a lot of events uh, the instagram page announces what events we're going to be at like blake went to fdic last year i was at the stair climb earlier this year there was a fight night in pasadena a few months ago so we're out you know we're trying to get in touch with people and, and we're out there we're ready to talk to anybody nice well, I'll put I'll put links to all the uh, social media stuff in the show notes as well. Okay, right on. Well, Dakota, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I mean, I appreciate you sharing your fire service experience, and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on next rung and and on mental health and mental wellness. It's so important for uh, right for our brothers and sisters out there. All right. Well, I appreciate you making the time to talk about it. Any chance that we can get to at least you know, get the resource out there. There are lots of mental health resources, but, you know, I'm just happy for every opportunity to get some more phone numbers out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right on. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, that's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Dakota, for being on the episode with us. If you are enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, go to whatever platform you enjoy best and subscribe. These episodes will drop in the middle of the night. Go to the Apple Podcast and rate and review the podcast. Uh, Feel free to shoot me an email at raingray at firegroundfitness.com and provide me whatever feedback you'd like, good, bad, or otherwise. Uh, When you do that, I can improve the podcast And that is all I have for now. Go on out there and get some.